Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. We're going to be talking tonight and tomorrow or next week about this topic, Practice Makes Perfect. We've all heard that all of our lives. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. I love this thing because we have this destination outlined here, which is perfection. And it's achievable through a process which is practice. And so when I can see a goal and I can know that there's a way to achieve that goal, it makes me feel good. That's how my mind works. Um, I can understand that. What I don't understand about this is perfect. That word perfect seems to be the most misunderstood word in the English language. Okay? Here, let's play with it for a minute. Brother How? let's say you have a painting at your house. And I walk up and you're so excited about this painting. You just purchased it. Your wife loves it. She's been talking for months about it. So you ordered it. And it's right there hanging on your wall. And you're like, isn't that perfect? And I'm looking at the painting. I'm not thinking perfect. It may be perfect to you for your idea of perfection for that painting, but it's not perfect for me because I don't appreciate the way the artist did what they did. And it's like that in so many different areas of life where it's really subject to the person who sets the standard for what perfection is in that moment or in that instance. And so practice makes perfect, okay? That's something we can talk about. It sounds good. The truth is practice matters. If we do something over and over again, it's repetitive. We do, in fact, get better at it. But what's, what's perfection? What is that? You could say that a team, a bowling league, bowled a perfect game. Why can we say that? Because we know that a perfect game has a score of what? 300. So there's a standard that is set and understood by everyone through the rules of the game that says, if you bowl 300, it is a perfect game. Okay, now let's take a team. You have a team of people together. And you say they had a perfect season. And everyone, if you're in the sports, you get excited about that. You're like, my team. How many games are there in a football season? 16. We'll go with 16 because I don't know any better. I heard 17 people are getting angry. The sports fans are like, get this right. It's 16 or 17 based on what I'm hearing in my ears here. They have a perfect season. If you tell somebody that their team had a perfect season, they can relish that. 
And do you know that in that perfect season, there were 16 or 17 games, and each one of those games, there were multiple mistakes made. Somebody could have fumbled the ball. No one wants to be that guy. Someone could have thrown an interception. No one wants to be that quarterback. Lots of mistakes are made in games where the end result is still a victory or a win. And we just accept that. It's okay. It's understandable. They're playing a game. They're athletes who practice so that they can be their very best. But sometimes, even when they're doing their very best, they make a mistake. They go back. They watch hours and hours of game time on film so that they can try to correct those mistakes. But the truth of the matter is, even though their season might be perfect, there were challenges along the way and mistakes that were had. Trying to understand what perfection is for Christians. Matthew 5, 48 is a verse that I've read over and over again throughout the years. And I can tell you that when I was very new to Christ, it really took my mind for a world because I realized in reading it that I was not perfect. I wasn't perfect. The verse says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Does that seem pretty straightforward? Perfect. This word, man, I'm telling you. So, I read this verse as many other people read this verse and we see this word perfect here and the very first thing that comes to my mind when it's being used to represent God, our Father, is this must be perfect as in sinless because I know that God is perfect and sinless in every way. And so you read a verse like this and you say, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And you think to yourself, how can I ever obtain that? How do I reach this place where I can please God when what he's asking of me is perfection? Man, it seems like a daunting task. To some people, it even seems like it's impossible. How could I ever measure up to that? Have you guys ever seen someone do something that seems really neat to you? I've watched kids come to our house and play on our trampoline, and they can do backflips. And I look at that, and I'm like, man, that's cool. I've never been able to do a backflip in my life, trampoline, diving board, hard surface ground, never. Nothing has been able to assist me to do a backflip. But when I watch them do the backflip, I want to do one. I want to. Something about how much I like and appreciate them doing it draws me to want to do that, but I don't do it because of fear. When people see things that they like, something that they want to try, something that they want to do, if they choose to not do it, it's normally one of two reasons. One, they're fearful, or two, they're just not interested in it. It's not my thing to try. Anybody like roller coasters? There are not. Kings Island's going out of business. 
So I watch people scream and have fun on roller coasters and they come down off the ride and they tell me about how exhilarating it is and how much they loved it and they go back and they stand in line for an hour, sometimes two hours to get back on the roller coaster. Zero interest in getting on a roller coaster. I'm either fearful of it or I'm not interested in it. When we come to the Word of God as Christians, whether we've been in the Word for a long time or whether we're somebody that's relatively new to reading the Scripture, if we come across something that makes it seem impossible for us to achieve it, then we get afraid and we say, I can never accomplish that. It's like me in a backflip. I'm not going to try. I'll break my neck. I can't do it, so I never even give it a go. I can't tell you the amount of people that look at Christianity and they say, I just can't be what it says I need to be. And so they never even give it a chance. And it's misunderstandings of words like perfect that could cause someone to not even try because they just feel like I can never reach that level. And so tonight what I want to do for this first lesson is I want to focus in on what it means to be perfect. Our goal, what God has asked of us as believers, what's that really look like? And then next week we're going to have fun with the practice side of it, what I'll call the, the blocking and tackling side of it. And we're going to look at, okay, now that we know what he wants us to be, how do we get there? How do we get to that place? So we're going to start by taking Matthew 5, 48, and we're going to look at it in its context. We're going to read all the verses from Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. If you love those that love you, you're no different than everyone else. That's not the type of love that your father has. Goes on to say that, and if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so. Be ye therefore perfect. Here we are. Be ye there. For perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The original word here that is translated perfect appears 19 times in the New Testament. 17 times it says perfect just as we read it here. One time it says perfect man and one other time it says of full age. None of these times is the word translated or meant to be Sinless. That was never the intention of this word. We just seem to think that because of our understanding of it in the English language. The word in its original language means more like mature. 
or complete. And so we could read this, be ye therefore mature, even as your Father which in heaven is mature or complete. And he's speaking specifically about how we treat one another in its context. So what he's saying is, is you need to expand or allow your love to be more complete so that you love in the way that your Father loves. Man, so that means that God can help us love people that have done harm to us, love people that are not our brothers, are not our neighbors, salute people that are not our friends. God can do that work in our life. He's not expecting us to be sinless, but he is expecting us to have a heart that will be allowable to grow and mature to where it gets to a place where I can love those that do not love me. That doesn't seem like such a daunting task when we read it in its proper context. That's something that we can achieve. He's not asking us to be perfect that way. He's asking us to grow to a place where we can love. I'll tell you what, when I got in church, I got in church and the only Christian I got to know really, really, really good was Brother Jim Sleva. So I did have this expectation, I'm going to admit this, that Christian people are perfect in the sense that they don't make mistakes. Now you can ask me, well, how did you think that for more than one moment? Well, again, I only got close to (laughs) Brother Jim Sleva. And from a distance, everybody looks like they got everything under control. I come to church, everyone's worshiping, people shake my hand. I just, everything about them is perfect. Well, then I get the opportunity to go to Bible college. Brother Gallion, them boys ain't all perfect. It wasn't that they were sinful. It wasn't that they were just doing things completely wrong and against God. But when I got there, I had this understanding they're perfect. And then I get to know them and I'm watching them day in and day out. I see them in their lowest points around the campus, in the classrooms, in the cafeteria, when they're joking amongst friends, and I quickly realized they are not what I expected them to be. What I expected them to be. Not what God expected them to be. What I expected them to be. People are most hurt and frustrated by what? Broken and busted expectations. So when we set an expectation upon ourselves that God himself did not place upon us, then we set ourselves up for failure. God doesn't set us up for failure. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to make it. He wants us to accomplish what he set out for us to do in our lives here on earth. But we ourselves can set expectations that are unrealistic, that can never be achieved. That wrecked my mind for weeks and months before I come to understand. I was new in Christ, new to the Holy Ghost, new to baptism. I think think I've heard Brother Sleva say in the past, maybe Bible college isn't the best place for new converts. 
They need some time. That I could understand why. Because we have all of these, as babes in Christ, misunderstood concepts about how things are supposed to work. And so I went to the Bible college that way, and I didn't understand it. But once I was able to grow up a little bit and mature a little bit more, I got to the place where I understood, okay, these guys are not meant to be perfect. Time out. Cut them some slack. Because you know who's going to want it in return? This guy. And then I got to the place where I was relieved that the expectation was not perfection. Not because I was looking for a way out, but because I wanted to please God. And all of a sudden, what the Word says pleases Him became achievable in my mind and in my heart. It makes a difference. So what he's really talking about when we look at the word perfect is maturity. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Get ready for this. This is really strong. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection or to unto maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. We are seeing here that in maturing, we eventually get past some of the fundamental doctrines that we hold on to is not just Christians, but apostolics. Repentance is fundamental. You cannot please God or grow in God without first repenting and making sure that you're turning your eyes, as Brother Matthews preached on Sunday, towards him and walking with him. Repentance, baptism, the washing away of our sins, being cleansed of all of our sins. He is saying in this text that as you're maturing in Christ, those things don't go away, they're foundational, but you've got to mature past that point. When he's saying perfection, he's saying get yourself to a place where you're continually growing in him. I preached a message um, Many years ago, I have preached more terrible messages than anybody else I know. And, and if you were in young adults and you are in this room, I am thankful you survived. I, I, this one message was entitled, It's Time to Pitch the Passy. And I'm dealing with young adults and, and I'm talking about how we need to continue to grow and continue to mature in Christ. It's what he designed us for. It's necessary for us to please him. And I use the illustration talking about a little baby. And isn't it cute? You have a little baby, you hold them up, giggle, you're like, oh, it's great. They're, they're like doing things that, that you would never think were cute any other time. They're, they're, you, you smell that? 
This baby's the cutest thing in the world, and you're totally ignoring the fact that they just pooed all in their diaper because it's a cute child. You giggle as you play with their tummy. You blow bubbles on their bellies, and, and they're, 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 they got their pacifier in their mouth, and, and everything that they do is cute because they've not been taught to do anything better. Then you get a grown man that walks in here carrying his binky or his blanket, 45 years old, pacifier in his mouth. It's no longer cute, right? It's no longer acceptable for that grown man to continue to act like a child. The natural process was for that baby to be taught and to grow and to continue to grow all the way throughout its life maturing past those things, get this, that it did while it was a baby. Then it makes it to becoming a child, someone of four or five, seven years old, and those things are different in its life that are cute in that baby or that person's life, but they mature past that into a teenager. I don't have any teenagers yet. I've heard they do nothing cute. <laughs> then they mature past a teenager into... 18 years of age and is an adult legally here in the United States. And we just continue to put more and more expectations on them as they grow. And that's exactly what God does for us. No, he's not expecting us to be sinless here on earth. We will continue to battle this flesh. And while we are growing and maturing in Christ, there will still be those times in which we stumble. But someone that stumbles and is mature and grown in Christ realizes that all I got to do is get back up. All I got to do is shake it off one more time. All I got to do is learn that that's not the way I'm supposed to act. I see the consequences of my decision and God, I'm going to get up and I'm not going to continue to fall into that same rut. And then you make your pathway a little bit and then you stumble here. And you realize, okay, this is another rut. This right here also takes me down. This right here also slows down my path in walking with Christ. And so over and over again, as we're maturing and growing in him, we will stumble, we will fall, we will bust our nose. But the intention is that you're not doing it in the same place anymore. That God gives you the strength and the wisdom where you realize, I can't act that way or that happens, so I'm no longer going to act that way. I can't watch those things because those things put thoughts into my mind and I don't like the direction that takes me. God's not happy with that. So I'm no longer going to watch those things. I can't listen to those things because when I hear them in my ears, they cause me to feel angry. They cause me to feel upset and I take it out on other people. So I'm no longer going to listen to those things. We mature and grow in Christ. We do that from brand new babes all the way through into mature adults, and we will continue to grow until he returns. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul lays out his mission. We all know Paul. Paul turned the world upside down. Paul's incredible conversion of, of when he was killing and, and, and putting those who believed in Jesus Christ in jail. 
his whole life before the conversion was, was really making it tough for Christians. And then he's converted by this encounter with the Lord. And then he just changes everything. He's a powerful preacher. Folks are listening to his testimony. He endures a lot of pain, a lot of conflict, jail, shipwreck, beatings, all to spread the gospel. Now here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 and 29, he's going to kind of narrow down why all of that matters. What are you doing, Paul? He says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says, I do everything that I do so that I can train people, so that I can preach to people, so that I can teach to them, so that when they come face to face with Christ, they are perfect before him or mature before him. Paul said that what God is working in my life mightily is this very thing. We can read all the books that were written by Paul where in the Corinthians he's rebuking them and correcting them and caring about them. And then we realize in 2 Corinthians what he said and what he did and how he stood firm on truth moved them to a different place where they were in right relationship. And he did all of that to say, I see you struggling. I want to help you get to where you need to be because one day, one day you're going to meet him. And when you meet him, you want to be right because he's going to take you somewhere that he's been preparing for you for all eternity. He wants to make sure that's right. That's why when someone comes to church that's not been in church for a while, they're new and they're walking in this place. I love this place. We're so loving and, and, and shaking hands and inviting people in. And we've got the, the welcome center and greeters everywhere. And, and, and everybody is just so kind and so nice. And we're doing that because we realize that we were once there at the starting point. Now we have to help someone else understand that they can grow in Christ. Don't let them see the mountain first because they won't think they can climb it. Help them to understand over here on like the small kitty slopes or the bunny slopes. I went to Perfect North. Does anybody consider Perfect North Ski Resort a mountain? Did you mean to say yes? Because I believe that. It's a mountain. Brother Fridley from Salt Lake City says that it's a tiny hill. Even at Perfect North, my first time on a, on a snowboard and my first time on skis, I didn't ride what you would consider a small hill but looked like a mountain to me. I started off over here with a bunch of little kids. They hadn't done it before. I hadn't done it before. We had to start at the same place. We had to learn together how to steer that snowboard and how to steer those skis so that we could ride the big mountains one day. We all have to start in the same place. 
We all have to understand that we're going to have to learn and build upon what we learned yesterday. Then we learn today, build upon tomorrow. We'll build upon what we learned the day before. The next day after that, we'll look back and we'll build upon what we learned from those. Not just what we read, not just what we studied, but what our experiences were. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's open my eyes up. And I, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Not even now can you take it. Here's what really caught my attention. He's saying that I cannot speak to you as unto spiritual. There are things that I can't teach you yet because you're not ready to receive them. Think about it this way. You remember Abraham? Everybody remembers Abraham in the Old Testament. Father Abraham, God spoke to him and he called him out from among his people, right? What did he tell him? Just short version. He told him to come out, right? He was going to make a great nation out of him. He was going to bless those that blessed him, curse those that cursed him. There was all of these promises of this just wonderful things that God was going to do for Abraham. And that's all he said. Leave, go, I'm going to give you all of these great things. Right? So the, the relationship goes on a little bit. And then God speaks to Abraham again. Stops it. And all he does at this next time is he qualifies even more the blessings and the goodness that he's going to put upon his life and upon those that come after him in his lineage. Blessing, 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 blessing. Then he tells them all about the son that he's going to have and how all of these things are going to come from your son. What he doesn't tell him in that moment, and he didn't tell him in the beginning, is that your son, your people, before you all these blessings come, are going to spend hundreds of years in captivity. He didn't tell him about the hardships that were going to have to come. He didn't give him all the details of the process of what was going to come next because he was not ready to handle that. He wasn't mature enough. You know what God did for us when he came? God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't come with a wrecking ball and with a hammer slamming things around, condemning everybody. No, he gave. That's what he did. He gave, he walked around healing people, performing miracles. They got to see how much he loved them. That's what they knew about Christ first. That's what Abraham knew about God first. And then after walking for just a little bit in love, you realize he really does care. And you start to become mature enough where you say, I'm not just following him for the love. I'm following because I can trust him. I can trust him to lead me 
And even if it seems hard, I can know that it's good. And even if I'm exhausted, I can know he'll give me the strength. But you can't do that at the beginning. Not when they're babes. No, you can't. He says here in this verse, he compared uh, that word even there is meaning equal to. Be as unto carnal, equal to babes in Christ. Okay? We got to get this. Because we come into church, people visit, they encounter God. They have an experience with him and their relationship begins. They keep seeking more and more and, and God continues to give more and more, right? James says, draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto you. It's a guarantee, it's a promise. They're growing in Christ. But we're reading right here, Paul is saying that babes in Christ, they're not ready for the spiritual mature things yet. So much so that they're going to resemble those that are carnal, who are just thinking about things in an earthly manner. Why is that? Because they've never known anything else. Why would we expect someone who has never encountered God, never experienced God, never had a prayer answered, never had a, heard a sermon preached, why would we expect them to come in here and all of a sudden understand spirituality? Things that we've been wrestling with and grappling with for years, right? We're right back to busted expectations. No. Paul is saying, you're looking at them, you're seeing them as carnal. I understand they look that way, but I'm telling you, they're already babes in Christ. They've already got a relationship going with God. They're already moving in the right direction, so understand how to care for them. That's why Paul said, I'm coming and I'm giving them everything I've got so that I can help them mature in Christ. That's the goal. Reaching this place of maturity. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We're getting close to wrapping up here, guys. We could take, you, you know, we could take a dive deep into this topic and be here for months. This is a brief overview of what God is expecting from us in this life. And it's maturity. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. How do I know if I'm maturing? I can tell by the fruit that I'm bearing. When you want to reflect upon your own life and I want to know, God, am I, am I really maturing in you? Am I doing better than I did a year ago? Am I closer to you today than I was six months ago? Then we can start looking around us and see what kind of fruit are we bearing? Am I seeing the love? Am I seeing the joy? Am I seeing the peace? Are these things happening in my life? They are. Then we can just be grateful that God is working in us. And that we are maturing in him. And that we are making a difference for him and his kingdom. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. Spiritual maturity is not automatic as a result of the mastery of scriptural teachings. Of course, that is an essential element in attaining maturity. But of itself, it cannot produce maturity. 
The accumulation of biblical information is of immense value, but it is only as the principles of Scripture are worked out in daily obedience that spiritual growth is advanced. Maturity. The true sign of maturity is consistency. Do you know the difference between Juan Lopez cashing five three-pointers in a row and Michael Jordan cashing five three-pointers in a row? I could try a hundred more times and I would never do it again. Michael Jordan could step up to that free throw line over and over and over and over again and cash those five three-pointers at will whenever he wants. Consistency. When I'm looking at my life, yes, I may see some fruit. I may see long-suffering. I may see peace. I may see joy. I'm seeing things that I know are good. They're fruits of the Spirit. But what I've got to look for in my life is consistency. Am I seeing the fruit when everything's going good, but I'm not seeing it when things are going bad? Am I able to produce fruit like that where it's visible when I'm at church, but not when I'm at work? Is the fruit continually being shown in my life over and over again to where the anomaly or the oddball thing is when I don't see fruit? Because it's there all the time. Not because of me, but because of what Christ is doing in us. That's a whole other conversation for next week. Stand with me. God is calling us to perfection, yes. But with the definition that he's wanting us to be mature in him. The best news is think about how much you know about him now. Man, how much you love being in his presence right now. How much you enjoy just spending time with him in in prayer or reading his word. It's a beautiful thing. You've worked hard to get where you're at now, but the best news is it's not the end. You continue down this path and you will grow closer and closer to him. Nobody on this earth has arrived at the place where they don't continue maturing. I haven't heard anybody preach like Pastor Carson. We have the best preacher as a pastor on this planet. You catch him and you ask him if he's still maturing. If he's still growing in Christ. We need to know that about our spiritual heroes and our giants. Brother Mooney's still growing. As an elder, he's still growing in Christ. I look across this congregation and we need to let the young people know they need to be able to see elders who are saying, I'm still growing in him. I'm not stopping, I'm still growing. Here's what happens. Then somebody that comes in new can stand next to someone that's been here forever and they can be side by side and it's okay because they're both growing in Christ. In different places, yes. In different positions, yes. But still dependent on him to allow them to grow. I got to stop. Next week, we're going to dive into, okay, 
We see what we're saying. This is what God wants us to arrive at. Now help us understand in a practical way how we get there. 